today on After God's Heart. This morning, we're going to read the story of a man who's stuck, but he doesn't yet know it. In fact, he's so preoccupied with things going on in his life, he doesn't even realize how stuck he and the nation of his people are. He's got a good job, probably makes a pretty good income. He works in a pretty good place. In fact, he works in the palace. He works for the government, not his own government, but he works for a foreign government. He has a pretty prestigious position. One day, his brother came told him a story about their people and the circumstances of their people he discovered were very bad. And all of a sudden, the joys of the luxurious life that he had in the palace was interrupted by a moment that changed his life. The one thing we need most is often the last place we turn in a crisis. And that's prayer. In the message today, Dr. Biles makes the statement, despair should always lead me to prayer. That's where Nehemiah was. He received word that Jerusalem was in crisis, but he was living in a foreign land. What could he do about it? First, he could pray. The book of Nehemiah is an autobiography of Nehemiah's faith, opposition, vision, and leadership. Throughout his ministry, we see him as a man of prayer. Today, Dr. Biles begins a 10-week sermon series on the book of Nehemiah. He's entitled the series, Rise Up. The title comes from Nehemiah 2.18, which was the people's response to Nehemiah. Nehemiah encouraged them to rebuild, and they responded. Let's rise up and rebuild. Throughout the series, Pastor Darren is encouraging all of us as believers to rise up. Pastor? I love and am convicted by the study of Nehemiah. Throughout the book, Nehemiah affirms everything that God is and everything that we are not. God is great and awesome, and we are corrupt and sinful. God's faithful, and we're unfaithful. God's holy, and we're sinful. The walls around the city of Jerusalem in Nehemiah's day needed repair, but their lives needed healing and their sin needed God's grace. Nehemiah chapter 1 is about seeking God and trusting God. Take your Bible and let's look and see about how the Word of God challenges us to rise up in prayer. The Coast Guard was busy in the Chesapeake Bay just off the shores of Maryland as a cargo ship had gotten stuck in 10 feet of mud. On this cargo ship were 4,900 shipping containers, and it had been stuck in the Chesapeake Bay for 35 days. To finally release this shipping container from being stuck, they brought in an uh, an excavator, and they they dug out like 45 feet of mud, and then finally had two pulling barges and six tugboats that pulled this shipping barge finally out of the Chesapeake Bay. So if you're waiting for a package from Amazon, it's on its way. It's just now coming. And I, I read that story and I thought about that. Have you ever felt stuck? I'm not talking about literally stuck. Have you ever felt spiritually stuck? You're waiting to go on. You're waiting to move and, and you're stuck. The irony of that story, the name of that ship was Ever Forward which is apparently only true until it's not. It's ever forward until it's stuck. And maybe sometimes in your life, you have been stuck. This morning, we're going to read the story of a man who's stuck, but he doesn't yet know it. In fact, he's so preoccupied with things going on in his life, he doesn't even realize how stuck he and the nation of his people are. 
He's got a good job, probably makes a pretty good income. He works in a pretty good place. In fact, he works in the palace. He works for the government, not his own government, but he works for a foreign government. He has a pretty prestigious position. One day, his brother came, told him a story about their people and the circumstances of their people he discovered were very bad. And all of a sudden, the joys of the luxurious life that he had in the palace was interrupted by a moment that changed his life. The man's name is Nehemiah. We read his story in the book that bears his name. What we discover as Nehemiah's story begins to unfold, the book is really a testimony of his life. It's really a chronicle of the events that took place from the time he temporarily left the palace to be with his people who were in despair. The children of Israel had been captive in Babylon for 70 years, and then Persia defeated Babylon. And in 539 BC, the Persians gave the Israelites permission to return to Jerusalem. Some of them did. Some of them, like Nehemiah and his family, stayed in what was then Persia. And as Nehemiah's comfort gets interrupted by a story from his brother, we discover that things in Jerusalem were bad. In fact, the story that he hears is that they are very bad. And what we're going to find out about this man, Nehemiah, he was the right person in the right place at the right time. Maybe you've discovered this in your life, how God tends to put people in strategic places at strategic times to accomplish divine purposes. Have you ever seen that in your life where you just discovered maybe it was you, maybe it was someone else in your life, they were the right person at the right time to accomplish a purpose God has. Maybe that's where you are right now. You're providentially in a place of God's leadership waiting for God's direction. You have your Bible. Open with me to the book of Nehemiah chapter 1. We're going to begin a new series this morning called Rise Up. And we're going to look at tools for spiritual rebuilding. This morning, we're going to look at a lesson about rising up in prayer. Nehemiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. During the month of Kislev in the 20th year, when I was in the fortress city of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, arrived with men from Judah, and I questioned them about Jerusalem and the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile. And they said to me, the remnant in the province who survived the exile are in great trouble and disgrace. Jerusalem's walls have been broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept. I mourned for a number of days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, Lord God of heaven, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and, keeps his, and keep his commands, let your eyes be open and your ears be attentive to hear your servant's prayer that I now pray to you day and night for your servants, the Israelites. I confess the sins we've committed against you. Both I and my father's family have sinned. We've acted corruptly towards you and have not kept the commands, the statutes, the ordinances that you gave your servant Moses. Please remember what you commanded your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and carefully observe my commands, even though your exiles were banished to the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there, bring them to the place where I chose to have my name dwell. They are your servants and your people. 
You have redeemed them by your great power and strong hand. Please, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to that of your servants who delight to revere your name and give your servant great success today. Grant him compassion in the presence of this man. At that time, I was the king's cupbearer. If you ever had a moment of truth, maybe an interruption that stopped you in your tracks, that disrupted everything else among normal activity in your life, that divine-initiated interruption. And in that moment, the need to act outweighs the comfort of inactivity, where you realize, I have to do something about this. It's the moment where Nehemiah finds himself living in the palace while his people were living in despair. And all of a sudden, in that moment, Nehemiah's heart is no longer in the comfort of the palace, but his heart is with the people whose walls are broken down. God began to stir up in the heart of Nehemiah a desire to do something. Now, over the series of the last century or so, a number of events have taken place. The children of Israel, over a period of years between 605 and 586, were taken captive into Babylon, where they spent 70 years. You remember in Jeremiah chapter 29, Jeremiah, who was the prophet of the Lord at the time, said, settle in, build a house, plant a garden, raise your family. You're going to be there for a lifetime. And they were. But then Persia conquered Babylon. And in 539 BC, Cyrus, the king of Persia, gave the Israelites permission to return to Jerusalem. He even gave them supplies that the Babylonians had taken to rebuild the temple and all the things that they used in their worship. 20 years later, in 517 BC, the temple that had been destroyed by the Babylonians was now rebuilt. And from 517 BC to 458, they began to settle into the new land. 458, Ezra came on the scene and renewed their covenant with the law. He brought back the law into the right place of worship in the temple. And then 445, Nehemiah receives a visit from his brother. Sometime around the year 444, Nehemiah came to Jerusalem with his primary responsibility of rebuilding the wall. What we learn about Nehemiah was not just that Nehemiah was a man of action. Nehemiah was a man of faith. Now, between the years of 517 and 444, the temple had been rebuilt. They'd been in the land by that time from 539 to about 444, over 90 years. But something was still undone. The wall that was their security around the perimeter of the city had been knocked down. It had been knocked down since 587. And now, all of this time, even though for almost a century they have been back in the land that God gave them, they have begun to be preoccupied. Haggai and Zechariah, whom you read about prophets in the Old Testament, came alongside and they encouraged a man whose name was Zerubbabel to lay the foundations, rebuild the temple. They did that, but then all of a sudden they got so preoccupied with life and their homes and new life in Jerusalem that they failed to rebuild the walls. Now we learn Nehemiah recognizes there was a bigger problem than just the walls. In fact, the fault lines of the city had ruptured long before the walls had fallen. And what we discover is more than just a physical problem, they had a spiritual problem. 
And in fact, before they're going to be able to address the physical problem, Nehemiah knew we have to address the spiritual problem that is literally a broken down relationship. So the broken walls are merely a metaphor for the broken relationship between God's people and God. And now, as Nehemiah is confronted with the need of his people, the broken walls meet his broken heart, and rebuilding begins. When the events begin in the first part of Nehemiah chapter 1, it seems Nehemiah was unaware. He knew a little bit about the fact that the children of Israel had returned, but he had no idea of the depth of the need that was taking place. And so the Bible says, he gives us the date, that'll become important when we get to chapter 2. But in verse 2, Hanani, one of my brothers, now stop there, this is probably his literal brother. They came for the purpose of informing Nehemiah, you're in this position of authority, you're in in this position of responsibility, maybe you can do something about this. So Nehemiah begins to ask them about what's going on in the city and what's going on with my people, and he discovers both of them are very bad. And so the Bible says in verse 3, the remnant in the province who survived the exile, that's those who came out of what was the land of Babylon, came back to Jerusalem, they are in great trouble and disgrace. Now, just stop there for a second. They're in trouble, and they are in disgrace. That word trouble there literally means bad. It's the word that Nehemiah is going to use later when he actually looks at the walls. The walls are bad, but not only are the walls bad, the Bible says the people are bad. They're they're in trouble, and they are in disgrace. Ninety years They've been back in the land of Jerusalem and have not yet rebuilt the walls. They're vulnerable militarily. Only by the good providence of God are they not yet totally destroyed. They're in trouble and they are in disgrace. No doubt their name had been mocked. That's probably what's implied in that word, disgrace. They're the shame of that community so that people, when they would pass by the city, would mock them. They're a disgrace. Jerusalem's walls have been broken down and its gates have been burned, but that was a long time ago. And the charred embers of the broken down walls are merely now a relic of an undone project of a people who have been disgraced. We'll return to our message in just a moment, but I'd like to take this opportunity to tell you about something exciting that is happening at Sunnyvale First Baptist Church. Vacation Bible School is just around the corner, and we would love for your kids to be a part of it. From classic tabletop games to video games and more, kids will play their way through VBS while learning that Jesus guides them through all the twists and turns of their lives. The fun starts on Sunday, June 11th, and runs through Wednesday, June 14th, from 6.30 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. For more information and to register your kids, just go to sunnyvalefbc.com slash vbs and now let's get back to the message this morning i want to talk about when hanani comes it's probably not the name of your brother or those who might come to see you but you've had this encounter you face this moment when something happens that interrupts things for you. You face this moment that you're going on, maybe things are happy, things are, things are great, you're, you're satisfied, you're grateful to the Lord, and all of a sudden Hanani comes and he interrupts. He changes your focus. And all of a sudden that ease that you previously felt has turned to dis-ease. And how do you respond when Hanani comes? And I want us to learn some lessons here from Nehemiah chapter 1. When we're asking God why and we're asking God when, lessons that we learn in those Hanani moments of our faith. 
lessons that we learn about faith and faithfulness when trouble comes. I want you to learn three lessons with me from Nehemiah chapter 1 as we face despair with prayer. The first thing that I want you to notice from Nehemiah chapter 1 is needing him leads to seeking him. That's the intention that God has. Every once in a while, God's going to allow a need in your life to remind you he's the need meter. To remind you that you as a believer in God have someone to whom you can turn. And when you turn to him, you discover he has all the resources that you need. He has all the ability. He has the desire to meet your needs. So needing him leads us to seeking him. Despair should always lead me to prayer. Now they did have a physical problem. The walls were torn down. In fact, they had failed. They failed in battle. They failed in their relationship with God. They failed in their obvious responsibilities to themselves. They had failed physically and spiritually. But their primary problem in Nehemiah chapter 1 was not just that the walls had been broken, but their relationship with God had been shattered. So when Nehemiah begins to pray the prayer that I just read, beginning in verse 5, his prayer does not begin, God rebuild the walls. But Nehemiah realized there's something that we need first. Before we begin to look at the physical issues that need to be rebuilt, Nehemiah turns to God in prayer. Nehemiah was a man of prayer. As we read through his journal, we'll discover there were 11 times, seven different occasions, 11 prayers recorded in this book where Nehemiah stopped what he was doing, sometimes simultaneous to what he was doing. Nehemiah's calling out to God in prayer. Those 11 times mark the sincerity of Nehemiah's spiritual need. Needing him leads to seeking him. When I discover that I need him, I discover that every care should lead me to prayer. Every burden that I have should cause my attention to turn back to him. I love the quote by Leonard Ravenhill, we have many organizers, but few agonizers. We have many players and payers, but few prayers. Many singers, but few clingers. Lots of pastors, but few wrestlers. Many fears, but few tears. Much fashion, but little passion. Many interferers, but few intercessors. Many writers, but few fighters. And I believe this morning the Bible is calling us to rise up in prayer. I want to remind you that our distance from God is self-inflicted. When you find yourself removed from God, Somehow you're separated from God. Let me just remind you, God's not moved. You're the one who's gotten off track. And those are the times when we discover I need him and it reminds me to seek him. And I turn back to him by faith. And that's where Nehemiah does because Nehemiah knew before we can rise up, I need to kneel down. Before we can get the physical needs right, we've got to correct some of the spiritual needs of our lives. Nehemiah began to pray, and you note first, Nehemiah prays a prayer of persistence. Note what the Bible says. Nehemiah says, I prayed for a number of days, verse 4. Down at verse 6, I'm praying night and day. And we discover in chapter 2, verse 1, four months later, God begins to answer the prayer that Nehemiah prayed. And so obviously the lesson from Nehemiah chapter 1 is he prayed four months. Night and day, Nehemiah prayed. 
But he didn't just pray with persistence. He prayed with sincerity. Note what the Bible says in verse 4. I heard these words. I sat down and wept, mourned for a number of days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven, pouring out my heart to the Lord. I need him. And maybe this moment, like some moments that you and I have faced, will not be resolved by normal prayer. This is a moment that's going to require some urgency. You remember Jesus when the disciples came to him and they could not cast out the demons from that, from that child. And, and Jesus did, and they said, how come we couldn't do that? And Jesus said, some of these only come out by fasting and prayer. There are going to be some moments in your life where your regular habit of prayer needs to be superseded by a sincere, urgent calling out on the name of the Lord, needing him leads to seeking him. But I want you to note, secondly, not only does needing him lead to seeking him, seeking him leads to knowing him. After I come to that moment where I recognize my great need for the Lord and I finally turn back to him and I seek him, here's what I discover from, this, from scripture. When I seek him, I learn more about him. Look what happens in verse five as Nehemiah begins to pray. I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands. First of all, I want to recognize who it is that I'm talking to. I thought about something this week as I was thinking about the urgency of prayer. You can talk at God without knowing him, but you cannot talk to God without knowing him. I'm convinced a lot of our prayers are just talking at God, just recounting a long list of things that I want God to do for me. And every once in a while, if I'm not careful, I'll forget I'm talking to a great and awesome God. This is what Nehemiah said. You're the God of heaven. You're great. You are awe-inspiring, and you keep your covenant. You're a faithful God. And Nehemiah says, before I get to this list of things that I've got, and I've got a list, I just want to recognize who you are, God. You're the God of heaven. I live here on earth, but you are the God of everything. You're the creator, God. You're great. You are awe-inspiring. And then Nehemiah says, you are faithful to your word. That covenant that you gave to us, you, God, are faithful. But now watch this. Here's what happens. When my attention focuses on who God is, it necessarily then reminds me who I'm not. You're the God of heaven. You are great, and you are awe-inspiring, and you keep your word. And then right after that, Nehemiah reflects on who we are not, and he discovers God is everything that we are not. He's great, he's awe-inspiring, he's faithful to his covenant. But now look what Nehemiah says about themselves. Let your ears be open, your eyes attentive to the prayers that are prayed. But now look, I confess our sins we've committed against you. Both I and my father's family have sinned. We've acted corruptly towards you. We have not kept the commands, the statutes, and the ordinances. You're great, we're not. You are awe-inspiring, we are sinful. You are faithful to the covenant. We've broken your covenant. And everything that he just professed that God is, he then recognizes that we are not. 
to be sure, the Israelites had a lot of problems. They were a divided community, some of them in Persia, some of them in Jerusalem. They had much work that needed to be done in the cities. The walls were still in a state of disrepair. They had poverty, they had shame, they had defeat. They had failed God in nearly every conceivable means of failure available to them. But the greatest need they had was not the physical needs of the city, it was the spiritual needs of their heart. We have failed you. You've been faithful to the covenant. We've been unfaithful. I heard someone say recently, a praying man will stop sinning and a sinning man will stop praying. You've been faithful. We've been unfaithful. You're holy. We're sinful. To be sure, the walls need repair. But more than that, our sin needs grace. I need mercy more than I need blessing. And what God wants to do in me may be more pressing than what God wants to do through me. And in that moment when I turn to him, calling out my need to him, and I seek him, I then discover who God is. Because seeking him leads to knowing him. They'd seen God's judgment, and they knew enough to know that what they needed was God's grace. Nehemiah chapter 1 is a challenge to prayer. As the book begins, Nehemiah got some really difficult news. He heard a bad report about the circumstances in Jerusalem while he wasn't even living there. And Nehemiah's first response in crisis is the lesson you and I need to learn. He turned to God in prayer. Nehemiah says, I turned to the God of heaven. Now, I hope it's not only despair that leads you to prayer. But certainly in despair, that's the time when we turn to God and we seek God's intervention in our crisis, in our joy, in our sorrow, in our lives. If you're ever in the North Texas area, I want to invite you to be our guest at Sunnyvale First Baptist Church. We have Sunday school classes for all ages. Our worship service on Sunday mornings begins at 1030. We would love for you and your family to be our guest anytime you are able at Sunnyvale First Baptist Church. Once again, on behalf of Dr. Biles, we want to thank you for listening. I'm your host, Ed Petty, and we'll see you next time on After God's Heart.